All right, today, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Uh, you can find this on, on page 1,831 of your pew Bible. We're working our way through the book of Colossians, and now I preached on verse 15 last time, the very first part of verse 15, where it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Today I want to focus on one word, really, and that is the next word in verse 15. That is the firstborn over all creation. But let me read the context here and start in verse 15 to 20. And let me also remind you as well, I may not have said this last time, but many commentators consider that this is actually a hymn of some sort. Because there's a rhyme, there's a rhythm, and the way it's written, that maybe the early church sang this passage of Scripture as a type of hymn, praising the Lord Jesus. And now Paul includes this in his letter to the Colossians. And so I'm going to read to you the content where the hymn begins and ends. It starts in verse 15 all the way to verse 20. Let me read it and then pray. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Or some translations say all things hold together in Him. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That's speaking of Jesus being the firstborn from the dead. That in all things He may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for Your illumination and Your, your insight into this passage of Scripture and how it rightly communicates and explains the Lord Jesus Christ to us, and what all this even means to us in our life, and how it's applicable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, I spoke about, the, about how Christ is the image of the invisible God in my last sermon. Uh, whenever God makes Himself visible, even throughout the Old Testament, He... It makes himself visible through the second person of the Holy Trinity. That's true in the, the Old Testament and explicitly true in the New Testament, especially the Incarnation. And then we have this word here today in the next phrase. Paul says in verse 15 that Jesus Christ is the firstborn over all creation. Now, I want to address this issue. What does the word firstborn mean? And as we chew on this subject matter, what is, how does this apply to us? Okay, But notice as well, he uses the word firstborn twice in this passage of Scripture. In verse 15, he's the firstborn over all creation. Now turn to verse 18. It says that he is the firstborn from the dead. So today my agenda is this. Here's what I want to do. And moving forward, I want to show you and explain to you two definitions of the word firstborn. And then we're going to look at these two verses where the word is used in both verses. And then I want to make various applications thereafter. 
So let's step back and talk about the two definitions of the word firstborn. And this is how the Bible uses this term. First of all, very simplistically, the word firstborn can refer to something in time and chronology. For example, the firstborn animal, okay, coming from a mother animal. In in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat to the Lord, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. And later in the law of Moses, we see the same theme. The firstborn of a cow, a sheep, or a goat, a goat was to be given to the Lord. And the way you give it to the Lord is you, you kill it, you sacrifice it, and you sprinkle the blood on the altar. Uh, that's Numbers chapter 18, verse, verse 17 about bringing those firstborn clean animals. So very simply, on a surface level, <clears throat> the basic meaning of firstborn can mean you know, the first uh, of a flock or a herd. And this is very similar to the first fruits. First fruits that come from a crop or, or a field, you bring it to the Lord as an offering. So firstborn, first fruit, very similar. Uh, that's a reference to timing. You know, which one's the firstborn versus the second, third, and variousborn. That applies to animals. It also applies to people or families. In the book of 1 Chronicles, in 1 Chronicles there was a massive list of genealogy. A lot of times in the genealogical uh, literature in in the Bible, it'll mention the firstborn of the father followed by its siblings. Okay, Obviously a birth order to animals or humans is a simple uh, basic definition of firstborn. But Here's the the clincher here. Uh, Whenever the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, whenever the Bible identifies the firstborn child in a family, most often it is not simply thinking about the birth order. It's actually using a different definition or or, an expanded definition to to identify who will be the ruler of the next generation of that family. In other words, I'm moving to a second definition. Yes, firstborn can refer to birth order. But here's the second definition. The second definition of firstborn is referring to a person's rank or position that has authority over others. Let me give you some illustrations from the Old Testament. Um, In the book of Genesis, Esau was the firstborn child. Okay, But he didn't care for that position. And he despised his firstborn position, and he sold it to his brother Jacob at such a low bottom dollar of a little bowl of stew. That's how much he actually despised his firstborn position. And so Jacob ends up becoming the firstborn in position, in status. So even though he's not the first in the birth order, he becomes firstborn in position. That's Jacob. Later, Jacob would do the same thing to Joseph. Joseph is a younger brother, has a lot of older brothers. But Joseph will, or excuse me, Jacob will give Joseph that, that tunic, that robe, that coat of many colors. And it's not to keep him warm. Okay? That tunic was to show his authority, his firstborn status, so to speak, over his brothers. So firstborn is referring to a status here. These are illustrations. Uh, Jacob, later in Genesis, would do the same thing to Joseph's sons. Joseph would bring his children to be blessed by by Jacob. And Jacob would put his right hand uh, over 
over Ephraim, the younger brother, promoting him to that firstborn status. Now, let me give you another, another illustration or a verse. It says Psalm 89, verse 27. Whenever God's referring to King David in Psalm 89, verse 27, he says this about David during that time in history. He says, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy will be kept for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. Now, obviously, we can see how this is fulfilled in Christ. But in context of Psalm 89 in that time of history, David is the firstborn in the sense of position over all the kings of the earth. So in summary, there are two definitions to think about when you use the word firstborn. Yes, there's a birth order is one definition. Also, you have uh, the authority over others. Now we see how this applies to individuals. Let me give you one example of how this applies to nations in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verse 22, Whenever Moses is going to go talk to Pharaoh about letting God's people go from slavery, God says this to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh that Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Pharaoh, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So you think about an ancient world, even in a Gentile context, in Egypt, in Egypt it's not in the Egyptian context. They would probably follow the same type of understanding that the firstborn son has this higher status. And God says that I'm, you don't let my firstborn son go. I'm going to kill your firstborn son. Not just simply he's the, it's the birth order, but I'll kill the high status son of the next generation. So the nation of Israel in the Old Testament had a spiritual status over Egypt. Over the Amalekites, over the Moabites, over all these other nations, they had a firstborn status, a position over everything. So the word firstborn, referring to chronology or time, but it, it also refers to position or ruler in that position. And with this dual definition, let's go now to verse 15. In verse 15, we'll talk about the two verses where this is mentioned. It says that Jesus Christ is the firstborn over all creation. Now, when he mentions the firstborn here, he is not using the definition of time or chronology in this context. Because notice, Jesus is firstborn over all creation. He's using the definition of rank, of status, of position. Jesus is the firstborn, meaning he is the ruler, the designated ruler over all creation creation. That's what he's saying here. And, and it's also helpful to see that there's four reasons why Jesus, is, ha, Jesus has firstborn status as ruler over all things. And it has four words I want to give you. Creator, goal, pre-existence, and grip. I'll call it grip. I thought about calling it glue, but we're going to call it grip today. I'll explain why. First of all, notice why he has firstborn status. Number one, he's the creator. He created all things. And there's two prepositions here. Literally, in verse 16, it says, For in Him all things were created. Many translations translate that preposition be by, or by Him all things were created. But literally, it's in. He created all things, okay? Or by Him all things were created. Obviously, you understand this because you understand Christmas. The Word became flesh. In Genesis 1, God spoke. And that spoke. 
That voice of God, the power of God's Word, is a second person of the Holy Trinity who, who does become flesh and dwell, dwell, dwell within us. And then later, in the ending part of verse 16, it says all things are created through Him. So, Jesus is the creator of everything outside of God. I said it's important that in, it's called the, uh, within the Trinity, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, if there's anything outside the Holy Trinity, if there's anything outside the substance of the Holy Trinity, it's a creation. And even darkness is a creation of God. The angels, whether they're elect angels or fallen angels, God created everything pure and holy. And when the angels fell and rebelled, it's their fault. It wasn't God's fault. But everything outside of God is a creation of God. And that's why he expands upon this saying, visible or invisible. Thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. You think about this. Even whatever power Satan has, it's something that Jesus Christ created. And that Satan is simply perverting it. It shows you how powerful the Lord Jesus Christ is and, and His Word is, His created Word. So that's the first reason He has firstborn status. He's the Creator. Number two, I want to focus on this preposition. It's the word for. All things were created for Jesus Christ, for the second person of the Holy Trinity. Now, think about this. There's a purpose to creation. God the Father speaks His Word, which is, the, which is the Son, and basically is essentially saying, Son, all of this is for you. You think about the stars. You think about science. You think about architecture. You think about your life. You think about your body. Everything that you can observe, everything has a goal in life, a purpose, a design, to glorify Jesus Christ and that Jesus would inherit everything. Everything is for him. He's the ultimate goal. Number three, he has pre-existence, meaning he is before all things here in this verse. It says in verse 17, he's before all things. So obviously, Jesus is not a creation of God. Uh, that's why he is, um, it says in our Nicene Creed, he is begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Okay, that's part of our creed and the foundation of our Christian faith. So we have creator, goal, pre-existence. Now we have the grip. It says this, in him all things consist, or another translation is, they hold together. You think about that. Every cell in your body is held together by Jesus Christ. Every organ is functioning in your body because Jesus Christ is holding it together. The sun and the moon and the stars and everything and the planets of this solar system are perfectly aligned so that we can live in this little globe of earth and it's held together with a perfect distance by Jesus Christ. All things consist or hold together within Him. This is why Jesus has that rank of firstborn. Let me pause right now and give you two other passages of Scripture where the word firstborn is emphasizing the rank of Jesus. It's Romans 8, verse 29. It says, Whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be firstborn among many brethren. I want to echo this verse later, but think of that. He's firstborn among His family, meaning He's the ruler of of his brothers and sisters. You're his brothers and sisters. 
Okay, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6 is another one. It says, when God brought the firstborn into the world, He says, let the angels of God worship Him. They're speaking about the incarnation, meaning everything. When Jesus is born, all the angels are worshiping Him there, even, even in the Christmas event. Okay, that's the first verse where firstborn is mentioned here in verse 15. Moving forward, let's look at verse 18. In verse 18, it says, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. Now, this, I'll suggest to you, is where Paul uses the word firstborn with two definitions, with both definitions. Both one of time and order, and also both one of preeminence and authority and rulership. So, because of this. Jesus is firstborn from the dead because He's the first person, the first humanity to be resurrected in time and space with immortality so that He will never ever die again. So you see the sequence has begun with Jesus Christ. He is the last Adam, the new Adam of a new human race basically. And, and this will be culminated later at the end of human history. So when Jesus returns, all of our bodies will be resurrected with immortality like Him. Since we're believers in Jesus Christ, those who are believers will have physical immortality and life everlasting in the new heaven, new earth. So in that sense, He's the firstborn from the dead because He's the first to be resurrected from the dead. So you have that kind of birth order imagery. Secondly, He's the first one, firstborn from the dead in the sense that He is the firstborn ruler. He is the Lord of creation and the Lord of the new creation. And this is exactly what John saw in Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, there's a door that is opened up in heaven and John can see it. And there's no one worthy enough to take the scroll from Him who sat on the throne. And this grieves John and grieves people uh, in heaven really bad and all the angels. But then Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, this is exactly what happened in A.D. 30, in Acts chapter 1, in the ascension of Jesus Christ. He goes up into the throne room, into the control center of all of, all of creation at the highest level. And then He receives that scroll from His Father so he can open the seven seals of that scroll. And this, is, and this is him being positioned as the firstborn ruler over it all. And then Revelation responds with this in verse 11, chapter 5. John says, I looked and I heard a voice of, of many angels around the throne, living creatures and elders. And the number of them was 10,000 by 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they were saying, worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing and power. And every creature which is in heaven on earth and under the earth, which are in the sea, and all that is in them said, blessing and honor and power to Him who sits on the throne to the Lamb forever and ever. In other words, John sees a vision of Jesus inheriting His firstborn status, rulership, over everything in creation. So what I want to do right now 
is give you some various applications of what does this mean and, and the, the basic theology and the deep theology of Jesus being firstborn over creation and over new creation. First thing you observe is this, the love within the Holy Trinity. Think of this. God created everything to give it as a gift to His Son, Jesus Christ. It's like an inheritance. Son, here's a gift for you. It's all yours. From creation to redemption, it belongs to Jesus Christ. Now that's how the Trinity functions. It makes you contemplate how, that, how we as images of God should reflect that. As images of God, it's good for parents to give an inheritance to their children. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It also makes you think about this, how the death tax is actually immoral. The death tax is immoral because it's, it's the government's way of confiscating or stealing what belongs to your children. Okay? It makes you think about the outworkings of this. But you see the love of God in the Trinity between the Father and the Son, or from the Father to the Son. And then, number two, here's another application to think about. With Christ being the ultimate firstborn ruler over everything, it reveals why there's this almost nauseating theme throughout the Old Testament. The nauseating theme is this. Is that the Old Testament is replete or filled up with firstborn children who are failures. Okay, let me rehearse this theme. You can see how this flows. And it shows you this, that the Old Testament is, is looking forward to somebody who's going to fill this status of, of being Mr. Firstborn in an ultimate sense. Okay, so Adam, he's firstborn from the ground. Well, he fell from that position. Cain was firstborn from Eve. He killed his brother. Ishmael was firstborn from Abraham. He mocked Isaac. Esau was firstborn from Isaac. He despised his birthright and sold it for basically nothing to Jacob. Reuben was firstborn to Jacob, but he violated his father's bed by sleeping with his father's concubine. Judah was firstborn, excuse me, Judah had a firstborn son named Ur, and the Bible says E-R, that's how you spell his name, E-R. It's called, pronounced Ur. And, and God killed him. As the Bible said, we don't know why, but it says God killed him because he was so wicked. That was Judah's firstborn son. Later in the Exodus... All the firstborn children of Israel were going to be priests, okay? And go into the temple and serve God. But you know what they did? They worshiped the golden calf. And so God had to replace them with the tribe of the Levites. And then David, King David, he has a firstborn son, and, and he uh, violated his sister. Okay, so there's this, there's this miserable theme of failures of failures of firstborn sons throughout the Old Testament until you get to Matthew 1, verse 25, where it says, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. And they called his name Jesus. You see, that's the theme of the Bible there. It helps you make sense of this of this anticipation of the Old Testament looking forward to Him who will be actually be the rightful firstborn and fulfill and not disqualify Himself in that category. Jesus Christ is the ultimate firstborn. 
Another application to think about considering this, this theology and the meaning of firstborn here is that since Jesus has fulfilled the firstborn category, parents should no longer follow this Old Testament example. Okay? Um, there's, there, in the Old Testament, there's indication that if you're the firstborn son in the Old Testament, you, you received a double portion. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, if I remember correctly, that's where they wanted to make sure that the rightful firstborn son did get his double portion of the inheritance. Well, we are not to take that Old Testament example and continue that example in the new creation. Uh, parents are not to look upon their firstborn son or child and say, okay, since you're the firstborn, we are going to give you the majority of the inheritance um, just because you're firstborn. We can see that since Jesus Christ has fulfilled that category, it is uh, most appropriate for parents to divide their inheritance among responsible children, okay? And not put category upon simply the birth, birth order. So it gives you wisdom to understand why this is, has been expired with the old, old Testament civil law. I can remember speaking to a girl one time she was from a culture overseas. I won't say where it's from or anything. But she, I, I remember her telling me, this is actually in high school, she said, yeah, my parents, in our culture, um, we all have to serve the, the oldest child. We all have to um, um, serve her or, and be, you know, it's, it's humbling, it's horrible, but it, she was complaining about this. And now looking back and kind of realize she came from a non-Christian culture uh, where there's not a sense of, uh, of judicial appropriation and putting responsible personal responsibility on every single individual in the family appropriately uh, they had this old way of thinking this of this you know just because you're firstborn therefore you get more either more responsibility or more of the inheritance or something like that so it helps you understand how to even appropriate um, your gift or your inheritance that you will give to your children lastly let me also mention this as a application and that is this the last application since jesus is firstborn among many brethren this means that that he is your ultimate brother in other words this unlike cain who said am i my brother's keeper jesus rises to the occasion and says i am my brother's keeper my, my sister's keeper jesus christ is the the great big brother of us because we are his family he is a ruler over us and so whatever stage of life you're in you can take this and rest in it that he is the firstborn he is the ruler he's the one who ascended and got the scroll and opened the seals in in 30 a.d in revelation chapter 5 and he we come here every sunday to say yes lord you're the firstborn you're the one who has inherited everything everything is for you Every, all my life is to be funneled and channeled somehow to glorify Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we can take comfort in our big brother, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll give us your wisdom and insight as we apply the gospel to our life. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, that you have adopted us into your family by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will grow your kingdom throughout the world and more people will acknowledge the fact that even now you are king of kings and lord of lords in jesus name we pray amen